Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to Yes, UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball games ever played. And uh, seeing as that this weekend's Villanova game didn't quite live up to the bill, we're, we're going to take it back to 2012, and we're going to talk about another very notable UConn-Villanova game that was played, believe it or not, about nine years ago this week, which is pretty wild to uh, think about. So uh, Tim Fontenot is back, and Tim, you and I have been talking about this one for a while because if I'm not mistaken i think we like first met the night of this game or if it wasn't the first time we met it was like basically one of our first interactions like you know ever uh yeah. so well first definitely of all, early in our friendship for sure yeah i mean po- possibly what forged <laughs> if we're being honest so yeah um real quick we'll, we're going to talk about james book Knight, who uh by the way made his return so uh you know about 24 hours after uh we last recorded we got word that he was back uh and what we got from james was a uh, an awesome return against providence and a uh an interesting uh, and somewhat concerning uh, game against Villanova. And we'll talk about all that. Um, but real quick, Tim, first of all, how are you doing? And um, what do you think about just U- UConn and Villanova as a rivalry that we get to talk about again after all these years? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for having me back. I'm doing well. I uh, hope the same for you. The Having Villanova back is amazing. Um, obviously, we got a little bit of a taste last year. Um, but being able to play them eventually twice a year in this conference is going to be amazing. These are going to be going forward. It's going to take UConn a year, maybe two, but this is going to be the matchup in the big East going forward. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The two, the two biggest programs in this conference, I think what Villanova's done since UConn left and obviously what UConn did and what they bring back, it's going to be amazing for years to come. And we've already seen, the, the effect on the recruiting trail. Jay Wright's already talked about how how much UConn is going to dip into their recruiting and how much it's going to be a hit on them. And we've, we've already seen, like, even these last two games haven't necessarily been, you know, UConn obviously lost them both, and it was, you know, they were always going to lose these games, it felt like. But we've seen that once, once they get into old, Big East UConn is really back. These are going to be unbelievable matchups. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's going to be, it's, it, it, you know, it was very frustrating on Saturday, but it, you know, it's good that we get to the point now where, you know, an eight point loss to the number 10 team in the country, who is, you know, by all accounts, one of the, the, the dominant program of the 2010s. And, you know, you're like, well, you know what? We should have beat them. We just, you know, could have played better. So anyway, so in case I wasn't clear enough at the top. So we're going to spend a good portion of today's show talking about the 2012 game, um, UConn-Villanova, that is most famous for Shabazz Napier's just preposterous three-pointer to uh, win the game at the end of overtime, which is, I think, without a doubt, the dumbest awesome shot I think I've ever seen. Like... (laughs) I mean, we're we're going to talk about it at length, but seriously, the ball he he shoots the ball from like literally mid court. It was like in terms of shot selection, if Jim Calhoun had been on the sideline because he was he was out with a spinal stenosis at the time, he he may have actually just like just killed Shabazz on the court, just strangled him to death right where he stood because it was so dumb. <laughs> and he he made the shot, and it was epic, and we still talk about it all these years later. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that, but real quick. So, uh, Tim, first things first, uh, you know, James book nights being back is, uh, obviously huge for this team. What have you, what did you see from James the last week? Uh, you know, the, the good and, uh, some of the bad that we, uh, we got out of him the, the past week. Well, against Providence, it was amazing. He, it was so great to have him back and he demonstrated right from the start that he was ready to go. He was itching to go and he was ready to come back and be the catalyst of this team. Um, you know the way the 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 dunk on the putback was like got us all out of our seats, and then you know he's just it looked like he was back to his best against Villanova though. You know he just he didn't. I mean early on he was hitting everything, and we're like, okay, if if this is gonna be the kind of game Book Knight's gonna have, then it's then UConn's gonna win this game. But then he goes to the rim and he gets he goes down hard, hurts his elbow, well, lands on his elbow. We all start to panic. Um, comes out of the game amazingly. Was not out for long. I. It looked like at first. It looked like it could have been you know, game ending. It looked like it could have been a lot longer uh, than just the game too. But he came back in and then he just. I think Hurley mentioned this afterward, but he really did just look fatigued. He didn't really look himself after that. And you know, this is a guy who's been 
he was out for eight games. He was out for you know more than a month trying to get back. So the game fitness might not necessarily have been there. He obviously played most of the game against Providence and ended up playing thirty six of the forty minutes against Villanova too. Was the was the guy on the court most for UConn and it just felt like he was not he wasn't at forty minutes yet. He just he ended up having a pretty good game with twenty one points, but it's you know, it just didn't feel right from him. Yeah, it's weird to like look at the totality of the box score where on one hand he just went crazy the first like five minutes, like totally unstoppable. And then I you know, it was probably a combination of kind of, you know, banging his elbow, you know, got the you know, the just getting his legs out you know under him that whole thing like he's I was weird it was like he like turned into a different person almost and then after that he like doesn't hit another shot I, I think up until May, the last minute I think he had a three so he was basically scoreless the rest of the game he has five turnovers and you know you look at the eye test and you're like oh my god something's wrong with this guy and yet at the end of the day what do you have 36 minutes he goes seven for 17 from the field 21 points 10 rebounds you know what? That's pretty darn good. And if you really expect to, you know, what were you? What did you expect? You want to get forty points a game from Book Knight like he did against Creighton? I mean, sure, maybe if they if he'd done that, they'd probably win that game. They should have beaten Creighton when he did it the last time. But at a certain point, it's like, come on, like, what are what are we doing here? Like, the only other guy who had double digits was R.J. Cole. He had ten points, and you know what? You know, Tyler Polly had three points. Andre Jackson had two. You know, Gaffney five. It wasn't, nobody else played that well. So what do you, you know, if you want to beat Villanova, you need to play well as a team. And, you know, if Book Knight's going to give you what he gave you, I guess, like, if you need it, somebody needs to step up when he gets cold at the end. I don't know. That's, it was weird, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, RJ Cole, even his 10 points was a really, was a really fluky 10. You know, he, he was actually, thankfully, he hit all four of his foul shots because there was a point in the beginning of the game where, they just weren't making any of them. Book Knight only made half of his out of eight. Um, Sonogo missed two right at the beginning. It looked like none of them were going to fall, but it was one of those games for Cole where the three pointers weren't falling either. You know, we've talked about like that live and die by the three with him sometimes. If if he has a great game, it's because the three is constantly falling, and it looks like he can hit anything. But he went two of eight, and those were the only points he had from the field uh, from from behind the three point line, and you know. Tyrese Martin, at one point, I forgot that he wasn't even in the game uh, on the offensive end. You know, obviously, 11 rebounds is a big game. but Yeah, it's weird. Like, like, he disappears, and you're like, where is this guy? And then you look at the box score. He's like, nine points and 11 rebounds. Okay, I mean, yeah. sure. <laughs> and then, you know, with, with Andre Jackson, he had it was a really uncharacteristic game, it felt like, from him. But he also got called for – he got he fouled out. And a couple of those were – there were a lot, of, a lot of calls both ways that shouldn't have been called. It should have – they – Big East basketball doesn't feel as physical as it used to be because it feels like every touch foul is getting called. You like know, I'm every... glad you I'm glad you brought that up because that's a point I was going to specifically raise with this uh, other game against Villanova because yeah. I felt like I was watching two different sports. So <laughs> uh, we'll 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 cover that in a second, but you know, just yeah. Andre, yeah, Andre weird game. It's like one thing I did appreciate from Andre though is that Colin Gillespie. So this is the first time I've really got a good look at him. You know, you hear you hear the reputation he's this, you know, great player. He, you know, is constantly being brought up as a possible Big East player of the year. And I, man, is this guy one of the most hateable Big East guys you can think of or what? <laughs> like, great player. Got to respect his game. But have you ever seen a guard who posts up other guards the way he does? It's so annoying where, you know, he just, like, goes up against Cole and he just scores on him. Like, he's, like, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon or something. Yeah. Like, what oh, is he doing? Like, who taught this guy that? It's it's easily one of the most frustrating but admittedly effective things that he does because they got so many good shooters. He just dishes it out and then, you know, in theory, they bang a three or whatever. Obviously, that did not happen. <laughs> Phil Nova only yeah. went five for 22 from the three. So, in that respect... You kind kind of dodged a bullet there, but so back to Andre. When they put Andre on him and Gillespie tried to do it, I was like, it was refreshing to be like, oh no, no, that's not going to work. And so whenever yeah. he tried, Andre was just like, get get out of here. <laughs> so yeah, I think we're we're seeing the evolution of a really a kid who's going to be a highlight reel on the offensive end, but an outstanding defensive player on the other end. Um, you look at some of the plays he's made this week, especially, you know, one, again, really quickly, one that ends up not coming in the box score as a block, but that block he made against Horkler uh, on Providence that ended up getting called a foul, even though it was clean ball 
like no contact whatsoever. He just he just like jumps from a standing position and just completely rejects him. Um, he had a couple good plays like that too. Again, this in this game, he actually ended up having a block. But man, he's gonna be really he's gonna be really tough for someone to go up against on defense. Yeah, he's gonna be one of those guys where he's just gonna get fouls called against him because refs aren't used to seeing plays like that. They, they're yeah. like, they watch it happen and their eyes are saying, okay, well that just happened. And the brain is like, no, it did call a foul. That's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, frustrating. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Andre's going to have to, I don't know, figure something out as far as like making his unbelievable plays more believable on defense or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So um, anyway, yeah. So not really much more to say. I mean, it would have been really nice for UConn to get this win, but at the end of the day, you know, at Villanova is like the biggest ask on the schedule. So yeah, as lo- you know, book nights, according to coach Hurley is fine. He was just, you know, a little nicked up and a little bit tired. And if that's all it is, then fine. Then no problem with, you know, if he's hurt again, then, you know, UConn's got, got bigger issues, but you know, right now UConn's uh, ten and six. They're seven and six in the conference. They are teetering on the bubble. Like depending on who you ask, they're either like the last four in or the first four out. And um, you know, they're they got to win some games. And next up, uh, you know, when you guys all hear this uh, tonight, they play Georgetown, and that's going to be huge. So, you know, what do we what do we think about UConn's place in the the bubble race? And uh, you know, kind of going forward, what, what do we think about UConn right now? I think falling off the Falling off that last four in line because of a loss at Villanova is pretty suspect. I think that everything is going to end up, you know, balancing out after that. You know, these last four games, you've got Georgetown twice, you've got Marquette, and you've got Seton Hall. Um, so th- those are all games that you should win. Um, Georgetown obviously is going to be tough after they beat Seton Hall. Seton Hall might be a little bit wounded after losing to Georgetown, but you know. That's a Seton Hall last time out. That loss at home was also a game they played without book night. So you've got to think that they'll be, at worst, slight underdogs against Seton Hall, but favored to win those games against Georgetown and Marquette. So if they if they finish with four wins here and then go into the tournament, get a win or two, then I think they're safely in. I, I wouldn't be too worried if you know if they go into the if they go into the Big East tournament, don't necessarily win it, but you know pick up these wins, get one there. That that's gotta be enough. You gotta think you would think. And you know, they, they absolutely have uh, it within their capability to win all the rest of their games. You know, Georgetown, you know, we got to give Georgetown some respect here. You know, they were picked last below even DePaul in, in the conference. And they've honestly looked pretty good lately. I mean, yeah. relative to expectations, they're still not one of the better teams in the league and UConn should still beat them easily. But you know, that team, I mean, honestly, if you're getting picked below DePaul, people think you're trash. And Georgetown's not that. They're, I don't know, I guess I'd say I'm maybe below average or whatever they are. They're they're competitive in the conference. And, you know, hey, they, they can pick up wins and, you know, do what they have to do, I guess. You know, they're certainly exceeding expectations. So UConn yeah, can't take them lightly. One, yeah, they're one of those watch this space teams, too, because what Patrick Ewing's putting together there, they have the number 11 class coming in next year. Um, they've got they've got some really good kids coming in. They've got a five star. They've got a couple four stars. So, Ewing's building something there, and it's going to be really good. And this this conference is going to be really really tough for years to come. And you know, t- if teams all the way to the bottom are recruiting that way, then you know, one like uh, one season could look like an anomaly, or this could be the end of a rebuild. And you know, going forward from here, it's going to be tough. But in the here and now. Yeah, UConn should get those two wins. Oh, absolutely. And something also I should mention about Georgetown is, you know, they had uh, Mac McClung and James Akinjo transfer out. You know, those guys are both pretty good players, and Mac McClung especially is uh, really awesome at Texas Tech. And it makes you wonder, geez, like if those guys had stuck around, or I I don't know what the heck was going on with Georgetown. There was clearly some problems there, you know. That caused a lot of people to go, you know, for you know, for a variety of reasons. And you can Google some of them. Not all of them are necessarily very, uh, very good. But either way, you can you can imagine a version of this year's Georgetown team that's like, whoa. So tough beat for them. But hey, they they're Patrick Ewing can he can bring in talent. So 
it's it's gonna happen and the big east is gonna be way more fun and way more uh exciting when georgetown is good that's for sure and i should also just say by the way shout out to depaul who by the way just gave uconn about the biggest lift as anybody in the conference could have by going <laughs> on the road and beating saint john's at saint john's which is a quad four loss for the johnnies my god so uh yeah, as far as the bubble goes and as far as jockeying for position and the biggie standings go, that is a big one for UConn, who uh, lets us, they have some badly needed daylight. And realistically, they're going to probably finish either fourth or fifth. So as long as they finish in that range, it's not really going to make a huge difference. Getting Jumping Seton Hall for third feels like a bit of a stretch just because Seton Hall is going to play more games. But right, we'll see. So. Anyway, uh, so that's where UConn's at right now. So um, let's hop in the time machine and go back to uh, February of 2012. Tim, tell me about what you remember about this day and kind of where you were as a UConn fan in at this point in your life. Uh, well, I was a sophomore uh, at, at school. Um, you know, we were all coming off that year of the national title and everything was all, all great until the season started and the team ended up not being all that, all that splendid. Um, but I believe you and I were both at the daily campus building that night because it was a, um, it was a budget meeting night where we went over all of our, uh, all of our stories for the, for the coming week. And we had our weekly sports meeting. And so it was us and 20 of our closest friends all huddled around that tiny little TV with the N64 plugged in. Boy, that TV, that was a dinosaur even in 2012, wasn't it? <laughs> talking, We're talking like this thing must have been like from 1998 or 99. Just one of those standard old, you know, standard definition TVs that you would find at like a Marriott in like the, you know, the early, the early 2000s or whatever. Yeah. And it's like in, um, it's like in WandaVision when, uh, when Darcy asks for, when she needs a, when she needs a TV, but she says, I I need an old-fashioned TV. Uh, not like, okay. Not that flat one. Not that old a TV. I mean, that that was like a. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it was ancient. It was. It, I think we lost the remote for it too. Like by that point. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So old TV, not what we call like a modern thing for sure. And you know, I'm glad you brought up the Monday thing because this was like one of the greatest parts about just UConn, you know, daily campus life. You know, for obviously is. You know, most listeners know, you know, Tim and I were, you know, daily campus lifers for the most part. And most of our friends and many of my guests have been from that life, too. And one of the things, if you're a sports guy with the daily campus, you know, Monday night means uh, it's, you know, everyone gets together. Everyone comes down to the, to the office and we plan out our stories for the week. And uh, that meeting usually took place at like 8 or 8.30. And uh, this game, if my memory serves, was the primetime game for Big Monday. So UConn Villanova. It was uh, Judgment Week, uh, so we're coming to the end of the regular season, and UConn and Villanova were both in really bad shape at this point. Uh, UConn was had just lost seven of nine games, so they're they're sixteen and ten, but they're tenth in the conference, and they're just struggling big time. This is a team with Shabazz, with Jeremy Lamb, Andre Drummond, Alex Oriaki, Roscoe Roscoe Smith. You know they're super super talented, and they just couldn't get get out of their own way. Because they, well, you know, they were, they'd relied so much on Kemba and when he goes, like everyone else is like, Hey, I'm a national champion. And, you know, Drummond is like, Hey, I'm going to be like a top 10 pick of the draft. And all these, it's just, it's a mess. And Villanova is like even in even worse shape. They're 11 and 15. I couldn't believe how bad they were this year. They're 12th in the conference. It was a, both teams were a hot mess. And so coming into the game, you know, both teams are like, you know, especially UConn's like, all right, look, you know, we have the one of the we have the number one strength of schedule in the country. We have some quality wins, but we really need to just one or two more wins or else, you know, we might be in trouble. And so I remember, you know, coming to the office that night just being like, oh, man, this is going to be a stressful one. And it was so stressful. <laughs> Do you remember? I think we went to our meeting. It was like. I believe the meeting started right at the end of regulation. So we may have just, I think we even started late because we like just watched the end where, uh, Oriaki has that put back to force overtime. And it was a, a wild last minute. We'll talk about it more in depth, but every, it was one of those things where like every possession is like something happened that makes your heart jump out of your chest. And we're like, okay, you know, going overtime, everyone, we rush into the, our meeting and, you know, kind of bang it out. And I think when it was over, it was like the last minute of overtime. So we like set a new speed record. 
Tim, yeah. tell me. Shout out to the McDees for getting us out of there very quickly. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because like, I, um, this is something else I almost forgot. I may not have actually been in that meeting. I may have, I may have been watching the whole time, and you were, you guys were in there. <laughs> I don't actually have much of a memory of what led up to the moment we're going to talk about, just because it was such a blur. But Tim, if you could just walk us through the last minute or so of overtime and uh, why it is we're even talking about this game. Well, I just remember us going like. You know, everyone just being huddled around the TV, you know, so many of us and we got a few stragglers from photo and news and and like, like we were we were very much causing a disturbance in the in the office. And we're sorry to everyone whose budget meetings we disrupted and the design people. But the game is really a blur to me, too, because of all that what was going on. But I remember um, I just remember because I've watched this video a thousand times, Jeremy Lamb being at the foul line and. They were, let's be real, they were there because of Jeremy Lamb. He was unbelievable that night, his 32-point performance. And he gets, you know, he gets to the foul line. And then Villanova comes down the other way. UConn's up two in the final seconds. Villanova just drives straight to the rim. You know, UConn's not going to foul. They So they kind of just, like, give Villanova the path. And so game gets tied up with, like, seven seconds left, something like that. And they inbound to Napier, and instead of calling a timeout, they just they just go up the court, and Shabazz just lets fly. You know, he, he had another second to take another step, and he just decides, no, you know what, I'm just going to pull it from right here. And it was, I just remember all of us in the office screaming collectively, no! And then the ball goes in, yes! And <laughs> almost bringing the entire building down. It was, It's an old building, so there was a really good chance we could have done that. But it was... Like, of all the shots in Shabazz's career that have made us do that, and there there were a lot of them, this was the one. Because keep in mind, he was also, he came in off the bench in this game, played most played a lot of the game, he played 30 minutes. But those were, that shot accounted for 50% of his points. You know, this was before Shabazz was the, was the star scorer, the guy who climbed the scoring charts. This was, you know, this was sophomore Shabazz, you know, just starting to get into that, and he comes off the bench and pulls that off. Like, I think we're all just in complete disbelief. As much as the as much as the cheerleader who had her hand on her head with her mouth wide open after the shot went in, it was unbelievable. I I'll never forget it. Like when you say like we all were like no, I mean it was seriously like. When you see these shots, I swear, like, most of the time they happen too quickly for you to really react or even think much of anything. And it was in the air so long that I distinctly remember, like, my thought being like, like, Shabazz, Shabazz, what are you doing? And then, yeah. (laughs) And then afterwards, I mean, that was easily, and it's not, there's there's no competition, the, the wildest reaction I think I've ever been a part of for a shot. Like, yeah. you know, and many, you know, and that's honestly, that's my fault in some cases, like, you know, for Kemba's step back against Pitt, I was up on, I was in the press box. So no celebrating there. You know, many of the other big ones, it's similar circumstances or I'm with, let's say a less rowdy crowd, but this right. one, I mean, it was like an, like an actual pig pile, like, like three people jumped on my back after, it, yeah. after it was over. <laughs> it was like legitimate pandemonium. And I, I don't remember who I grabbed, but I think there's a chance that I was one of those three people. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. Well, I, I remember there was one person in particular who I won't call out on the podcast who like put me in a headlock. And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. Holy crap. Oh my God, dude, get off me. <laughs> <laughs> just, just craziness. Oh my gosh. And like, yeah, they, they were talking on the broadcast throughout the whole game. Like, you know, kind of just calling Shabazz out for being well, kind of messing up like he, you know, had not too long before had called out the team for, you know, just generally being late, you know, not playing well and not caring enough for just just generally not being good enough, I guess. And it was like weird because like senior year Shabazz handles that much better. And well, frankly, senior year Shabazz on this team, they like go undefeated. But, you know, Shabazz yeah. hadn't figured it out yet. And he, he kind of screwed up by like, I don't know, it was it was a weird class of personalities, but it's so wild that he like goes from that to not starting this game and it was apparently because he had a, it was, he was dealing with a foot thing so there was like an injury aspect to it he hardly does anything in the game at all and like not long before that he missed the front end of a one and one that was almost devastating and almost cost him the game and then he just pulls that imagine if he misses 
Like, is Shabazz's yeah. career at UConn over? Like, like, do does does he just get like thrown <laughs> off the team after that? It's I'm exaggerating, but like that was like yeah. almost in a weird way like cemented his legacy. Because you know, obviously that that sounds strong, but we remember Shabazz for doing stuff like that, and that was like yeah. the first time we really saw him step up and just make what would become, I guess, like the, the no, 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 yes shot, the, the Shabazz shot that by his senior year, he was pulling up for these stupid shots all the time. We're like, oh, that's going in. And it did. And you're like, yeah. all right, cool. It's like, you, you've got permission. You got, the, you got the pass. Go for it. It's like when he pulled up for three in the title game in 2014. I think it was one of those long shots, but he just like, you knew it was going in. And I remember I was asking Amita Brima about it afterward in the locker room. And he goes, I was like, you know, when he pulls up like that, like it just felt like it was going in, and he just looks at me and like dumbfounded that I was asking. He's like, "Yeah, I knew that." And then he looks at me and he goes, "Dude, you're from Connecticut. You knew it was going in too." And I'm like, "You know, that's actually kind of a good point." Um, I just remembered something else about this game, by the way. I had to look it up to confirm it, but this was the Holy Water game, the Alex Oriaki Holy Water game too. Do you remember that? You know what? I did not remember that. And I don't know if I was aware that was even a thing until I watched the replay today. And they did a thing like where they're like, oh, yeah. So I, I know Alex Oriaki did something with holy water. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> That's so strange. <laughs> like, what what happened? Like, Alex was just like, he used like, he, he did some like holy water thing when, you know, with the team reeling like that to try to get him back on track. And, you know, uh, Maybe, maybe the shot proved that it worked. <laughs> I mean, there was some divine intervention on that. I mean, you want to talk about gratuitous shots. I mean, Shabazz didn't just like pull up from three. He pulled up from basically midcourt with five seconds on the clock. And, you know, the funniest thing is you, you watch the, you know, Dominique Cheek is the one who's guarding him. By the way, who uh, played at St. Saint uh, Anthony's for Danny Hurley's dad, which is was a funny thing to realize on the rewatch. And... You watch him pull, you watch Shabazz pull up for the shot, and like you actually can see the look on Dominique's face where he's like, Yo, for real? Like, he, and he honestly did a great job contesting the shot. Like, he's like going back, like, he's like, All right, you know, gotta this guy's gonna drive on me, and then he's just like, Oh no, you know, just got his, got his hand up there pretty well. But you know, just anyone in their right mind, like, he's not gonna shoot from there. You come, come on, that, this is ridiculous. They're gonna call a timeout, they're gonna no. And he shoots it, and it's in the air. It's in the air for like a full five seconds. It's 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 the dumbest shot ever. Like it's objectively yeah. a terrible shot, and that's why it's so amazing. It's like we're talking about it nine years later because he made it, and UConn needed it. I mean, it's not a stretch to say if he misses that shot, game goes to double overtime. UConn loses this game. It's we don't. I mean, it's honestly a stretch. Who knows what would have happened after this? It would have been yeah. uh, devastating for sure. Yeah, um, they definitely. And the season was kind of a stumble still after that. But I'll tell you what, that game was the last game before college game day at Gamble against Syracuse, and I think that shot just we were already going to be a campus of psychopaths that weekend. Uh, but that shot and what it meant for the rest of the season and what it meant going into that game, I think just took everything up to another level leading into that game on Saturday and the campouts on Friday night and everyone was just buzzing after that. That was the very next game, wasn't it? Wow. Yeah. That was, you know, I got to say then that, that week might've been like one of my favorite fan weeks ever for me as a, like a UConn fan during my college career. Yeah. Cause like obviously Easily. better weeks of, you know, UConn basketball, but like, you know, we're talking like we go from that to college game day where, you know, I'm not like, unlike much of the rest of the games, I am not in a professional capacity. I'm actually getting the cut loose and college yeah. game day, we're gonna have to do an episode on that. Jeez, maybe yeah. uh, it would probably be a little gratuitous to do it for next week's episode. To literally do back to back games from what was kind of otherwise a, more. I mean, I wouldn't call the 2012 season forgettable, but it, it's certainly not. It's certainly not one that deserves back to back episodes. But well, it, whenever you're ready for it, I was awake for 40 straight hours. No exaggeration. So oh, I'm I know. Happy to I was there. That. <laughs> I was there too. I, I was camping out. It was oh, cold. Yeah. It was a. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> that was a that was quite a day. So um, let's uh, you. So we don't need to do full play by play, but it's probably worth doing a little bit here because this game was uh, it was a pretty interesting game. So I think so. Yeah. So just to set the stage, so both teams come in, they're pretty bad. Uh, you know, UConn lost seven of nine. Villanova's like eleven and fifteen on the season. You know, they're both bottom half of the conference. Things are looking dicey. 
George Blaney is coaching UConn because Jim Calhoun's out with uh, Jim Calhoun is out with spinal stenosis, which is one of those other crazy things. Like, I mean, imagine what that season could have been like if he'd been just there the whole time. You know, Shabazz yeah. doesn't start. You know, Villanova they were without their uh, top scorer. I believe it was Malik Waynes, or he was he wasn't there. And the first half it starts off very very badly for UConn. Um, and it wound up being, I believe, a twenty-four to eight Villanova lead at right, like right around the uh, the ten-minute mark. I mean, it was bad. Like, it, it, I felt like I was watching like UConn playing without James Booknight, like against like DePaul or some of those other games where you're just like, oh my god, like what are you guys doing out there? Like, did you all forget how to play basketball? And it was it was bad. Like, just stupid turnovers. There was a point where. You know, like some really comical screw ups too. Like DeAndre Daniels blew a layup in transition. Drummond gets the putback and he blows the dunk. And then going back the other way, Villanova winds up with one dude under the basket with two of UConn's bigs. And this was a big UConn team. And he just scores on them both. Like all in like the span of like 15 seconds. You know, it was it, the sort of thing where it makes your, it almost blows your mind as to how bad it was. And then, you know, naturally, as UConn does, they finish the half on a 22-6 to run, and it goes into halftime tied. You know, as they do. Do you... Um, Some things never change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do you... Did you... I don't know. Did you remember much of the first half or just uh, kind of what your what your thoughts were watching that, either in the moment or on the rewatch or whatever? No, nah, it, it honestly feels like such a blur still going back... Uh, Going back, I, it was a really spotty team. Um, obviously, like you said, toughest schedule in the conference, in college basketball that year. Coming off a national title, but obviously losing Kemba, things were just weird. It felt like there was there were just a lot of weird situations throughout the season, and then, you know this was one of those games where you know it was really hit or miss. Even with you know even with how poorly Villanova was doing, amazingly, this is you know the the Ken Palm era lines up perfectly with Jay Wright's career at Villanova. This is the worst team they've ever had. This 2011-2012 team was Jay Wright's worst at Villanova. So that like that's just amazing to me thinking back on that. But you know, they were still a tough team to play because they were a Big East team in that 16 team Big East conference which was just unless your name was South Florida or DePaul, you could win on any given night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's actually worth diving into as well. Like Villanova in 2012, you know, this is what it was. It maybe year 11, 10 or 11 for Jay Wright. I, I forget the exact year. I think it was year 10. Yeah, so he was awesome during the 2000s. You know, the 2006 team was that Villanova team was maybe one of the most formidable teams UConn ever faced during that stretch of like the second half of Jim Calhoun's career. And you know, they made the final. Scotty freaking Reynolds. Yeah, they made the final four in 2009, and they were just you know consistently really good and. In 2012, they reached some weird low point where they have this bad year, and they're you know they're loaded with talent. And I think Jay Wright has actually like gone on the record and saying like, you know, he kind of got away from what made the program a success, and he got too obsessed with talent and recruiting rankings and not with fit. And it's funny to think back of how the very next recruiting class that comes in was that Ryan Archie Diacono class that would wind up winning a national championship as seniors. And then Villanova has just taken off like a rocket ever since. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's something to see. Like you, you get this version of Villanova and you're like, wow, it's like weird. Like it, it's feel, I mean, honestly, almost felt like you were watching like a, you know, 2016 or 2017 UConn. It was not what you expect. And credit to yeah. Jay Wright. He got, he got that, that ship sailing on the, the right track quick after that though. Yeah. It took him no time. I think the next year. So they finished 87 in Ken Palm that year. And I think next year they were just like, just on the other side of 50. Like he, he shot up real quick. Yeah. There was no, uh, there was no rebuild. There was no sitting on it for a couple of years. I, this, this was a huge testament to Jay Wright, this turnaround here. Yeah. And obviously by 2014 and pretty much every year since they were one of the best teams in the country, it, it's just, it's funny how it like took a couple of more years for them to, I, I don't know. It's weird to, it's weird to think like, at the time, like I looked at Villanova as a bunch of choke artists who couldn't like win the big game, which is a really bizarre thing in retrospect. But you know, from like 2010 to 2015, that's kind of what they were. They lost a lot of big, you know, big games. And you know, the 2014 team, I remember UConn got them in the second round. It was a ten, it was excuse me, a two to seven matchup. And I had never felt so confident picking the upset. And it's not just because you yeah. know we were biased. So it was like 
uh, that year's Villanova team, I l- looked at them like steak. They were just ripe for the picking, and obviously they, you know, it wasn't close. Like they, they killed them. It was UConn was in control of that game, pretty much no problem. So, but obviously no one's, no one, no one's doubting Jay Wright. I mean, he built that program up, and after this uh, 2012 season, and obviously the 2016 team was. You want to talk about like a great college basketball team? I mean, man, that's that was as good as it gets. What they did, like, I hope I'm not getting my years mixed up. I'm pretty sure that was the Final Four where they just just put Oklahoma in the trash, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, there was, yeah, and then they win the title on the the buzzer beater. I mean, my, you know, yeah. just an unbelievable season, unbelievable program, but uh, not so unbelievable season in 2012. Anyway, back to the story at hand. Um, second <laughs> half, we need to talk about Jeremy Lamb because this was straight up like this might have been his best game at UConn, and it's crazy that nobody we think of this game and like you do not like think of really him at all. It's crazy. What do you what do you yeah. what do you remember? What do you think of Jeremy in this game? Unbelievable. I mean, this was like you said, de- definitely to this point, it was his best game. I think without a doubt, it's his best game ever at UConn. It felt like other than from three, he just could not miss. And, you know, this was a guy that we, you know, we talked about the guys that we wish would drive to the rim in, uh, in this current team. This guy would just go to the rim every single time he had the ball. And it was amazing to watch. And I think this was the kind of game where you realized, oh, he might not be around much longer. And sure enough, there he went. But, yeah, this was outstanding from Jeremy Lamb. But, again, it's, it's like, like very much like the person Jeremy Lamb. It was very quiet because of how the game ended. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Like, you know, he makes some, that's a real tendency to make some very loud plays quietly. Like he had like a, like a half court, like alley-oop, you know, Shabazz threw him, threw it up from way, it was basically from the same spot he took his three at the end of the game, threw up the alley-oop and Lamb threw it down. He had one really good one in transition where he just like, the dude looks like a gazelle in transition, I swear. Like he throws down these dunks and he like jumps like three inches off the floor and, but his arms are like, you know, 28 feet long. So it just, you know, pops it right in. No problem. And, um, right. yeah, you know, he, he's just played a big part in this game. Just, you know, keeping UConn in it. And, and it's weird because at the same time, he also was like weirdly ineffective from three. He only had, I think I got it here. Yeah. Two for nine from three, you know, eight for 11 from the free throw line. And, you know, one of those misses was kind of a crucial one late. So, Weird, yeah, it's like a weirdly dominant, but like you also makes you think like, geez, like imagine if he actually hit a couple more of those and like, and then instead of thirty two points in overtime, you're talking about maybe thirty seven with a you know ten point regulation win. So, yeah, honestly, now all of a sudden, now if, who, am I talking about Jeremy Lamb or I talking about Book Night? Seriously, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good point. Yeah, weird. Um, oh my gosh, the end of this game is so strange. Like, it took them like forty minutes to play like you know, the last five minutes plus of regulation plus overtime, there were so many free throws being taken, so many timeouts, which has made it like just more the alarming and shocking. That, like the actual like, play we remember, there was like the one thing that there was no timeout. It just happened. You're like, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? That, that's, that's it. It's over. Um, I don't know. Just any thoughts on like towards the end of the game? Like it's, it's just like a mess of free throws and just weird turnovers and, it's like just so nitty. It would be weird to like get into the nitty gritty, but do you, I don't, yeah, I don't, I just, I'm grateful for it because we had our meeting, so we were able to really. We didn't really end up missing a whole lot because we were able to get back out in time. It worked out in that way. Yeah, we're like you know coming yeah. in and out. Like you know, what's the score now? Uh, there's two free throws. All right, they're in a timeout. But uh, yeah, at least then, at least then the fouls were because you bludgeoned somebody. It wasn't just like you tapped their pinky as they were shooting. Yeah, you know. So shout out to to old Big East refs, even though I had some, uh, even though I had some that weren't big fans of me when I was in the student section. But, <laughs> you know, it was all it was all love, Jeff Anderson. It was all love. So it wasn't all love, I'm sure. Um, no. So let's you know you brought it up. So let's let's dive into this then. So um, commentators were uh, Sean McDonough, Jay Billis, and Bill Raftery, and you know there was a long running discussion throughout the game is to basically how you know the refs were letting everything go it was crazy like ty johnson was straight up throwing elbows at ryan boatwright the whole game and like they were like you know not like not close like these are legitimate fouls like he's just like shoving him like like almost like straight up knocking him to the ground you know under the basket like you know guys are like you know andre drummond alex oriaki some of villanova's bigs i mean there are some tree trunks being thrown around in there 
and you know people like getting whacked all over the place and you know i'd say about maybe half of them were being called like it was <laughs> it was nuts and it just made me think like wow like here we are nine years later and well let's just say that the officiating uh a saturday's game was uh quite different so i don't know what do we what do we prefer do we prefer it the old way when there's just like you know, like a, like a WWE match out there. And when I say the old way, we're talking 2012, like, you know, people older than us are like, oh, geez, you thought you thought that was rough. Like back in like the 90s, you know, you have like the Bill Liam beer and Kevin McHale fouls in those, you know, 80s Pistons and Lakers and Celtics series. Yeah. I don't know. Do we, is it better now or is, do we, would we prefer it the old way? I don't think it's better now, especially because of the way, you know, the, when you just let the game play, it just... It was so much more fun to watch. It was more fun to watch these teams be physical. Now when they're calling everything, you know, you guys, you you get, and I'm not saying it just because it happens so much to UConn, but you have guys who very quickly get into foul trouble and it throws games off completely. We don't get to see Andre Jackson out there for as long as we'd like to because he goes to the, goes to the bench in foul trouble. Same with Adama Sinogo, same with Isaiah Whaley. You know, the fouls are just being called constantly on them and, you know, I felt like both ways in the second half. I think Villanova put UConn in the bonus like six minutes in or eight minutes in, something like that. In uh, in Saturday's Saturday's game, so you just it's not fun to watch when every little thing is being called a foul. You know, if you know if Booknight goes to the rim and there's just like a little bit of contact and he you know he gets the bucket. Or even if he doesn't, you know, if it's light contact, I don't want to see that called a foul. I want if he goes in hard and he gets bludgeoned, then yeah, sure, call that a foul. But you know, when Andre Jackson makes a clean block and you you can't believe what you just saw, so you like you think, oh, it has to be a foul. No, come on, like you're ruining the game like that. I just think that it's become way too much. I don't know what the reasoning is. If you think that calling more fouls leads to more free throws, leads to more points, I don't think that that's I don't think that that's right. I don't think that that's something that's healthy. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. I, you know, that I could be completely wrong, and it's just an idea that came in, it came into my head about all these new rules in sports that are about getting more points on the board. So, I don't know. It's just it's hard to watch it when it's like that. Yeah, you know, it's crazy too because this game. I mean, there were a lot of free throws in this game too. It just was interesting to hear that topic of conversation basically just being like like wow they're really getting like letting them get away with a lot out there and i was like oh yeah different you know nine years man yeah. that's a i guess qualifies as a different era huh yeah so um these were big teams too like you mentioned that yukon team i don't necessarily remember villanova but whenever i think about old biggies i always think about yukon versus Pitt because it was just like tree trunks fighting against each other yeah you know? it was like grizzly and, bears like yeah exactly like bring your bring your freaking hammers because you're gonna need them otherwise you're not gonna get you're not gonna get called for anything yeah it's uh yeah man good times man oh geez <laughs> this is a this game was fun so we, yeah. we to, to wrap up this discussion let's let's talk about our favorite you know thing about this game and not not just Shabazz's shot but what happened immediately afterwards this game produced some all-time crowd shots uh, and <laughs> The cheerleader one is obviously the one that like went viral and is still the one that like we all remember to this day. But like there was there were some other great ones too. Like the the first shot right before the cheerleader, they had this like ten year old kid who's like covering his face like he just watched somebody being like somebody commit a murder six feet in front of him. <laughs> the northwestern kid before the northwestern kid. Yeah. Oh geez. <laughs> and then like you know, and then every time they showed a replay, you can just see everyone in the building just in various stages of comic disbelief. Like there's like, you know, people just throwing up their arms, some people jumping up, just like, you know, Oh my God. Like just everybody collectively just being like, what's that? What's that Simpsons gif? It's just like, you know, um, you know, you can pinpoint the exact moment where his heart like broken too or something. Oh yeah. It was like an entire arena full of people where you look at, there's a guy and there's a guy and everybody's just processing something impossible all at the same time. And meanwhile, George Blaney's just on the sideline like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> George. <laughs> Gotta give him credit. You know, George Blaney and Jake J. Wright are two guys who are, you know, cool as a cucumber when watching just stupid preposterous stuff happen. Like, remember, yeah. like, we talk about Jay Wright, you know, the you know the 2016 championship buzzer beater. You remember his reaction to that? It was no reaction I, at all. He yeah. literally did nothing. Like, he watched the 
are, you know, arguably one of the greatest shots in college basketball history. And his reaction is totally stone faced, turns and shakes Roy Williams' hand. Like, I'm talking about ice to your veins. I mean, yeah, you know, unbelievable. Like I, I swear, 14 like, years in the making, your your dream at this big program that you've brought in, that you've brought so close before that. She's like, oh, shots in, good game, Roy. I'm, I'm just imagining putting myself in that situation, and I'm like taking my shirt off or something. <laughs> yep. Hell, I'm imagining yep. like Brad Stevens in that spot, also famously cool as a cucumber, and I'm like imagining him like just being like, you know, I don't know, just. Doing whatever qualifies as like Jim Calhoun's famous happy dance or something, you know? Well, yeah, the little leap after Kemba made the shot. <laughs> yeah, Jim Calhoun, what a character. <laughs> so, oh, I don't know. Anything else on this game? I mean, it's pretty. I mean, I feel like we kind of covered most of the important stuff. Any anything else uh, you remember about this game and just or the whole the whole thing around it? Just that it was. Even though he only had the six points, it was Shabazz's best trip to Philadelphia because. Uh, believe the next time he was down there was the chicken wing incident or it was a couple of years later but you know at least he didn't have any 7-eleven chicken wings before this game okay so i can you just for our, for our listeners who may not be familiar can you elaborate because i feel like this sounds like a story that our listeners might need to hear in case they aren't yeah, familiar i i don't i don't remember the full details but yukon went to temple it was already miserable because we were playing in the american um shabazz didn't have a great game um, ended up being that he was sick because he went to 7-Eleven before the game and, and got some of the wings, which you never get 7-Eleven wings. You should never do something like that. And he did a star division one basketball player before a game. And yeah, that's, that's what happened. So don't do that ever, please. Well, now that that uh, let that add some context to his quote where he was like, yeah, you know, sometimes we go to bed hungry because, you know, True. Yeah. He, yeah. Maybe he, one day he was like, you know what? I don't want to go to bed hungry today. I just want to get some 7-Eleven wings because I'm a college student and I'm hungry. Yeah. And I mean, you know what? Hey, I've done that more times than I can count. You know, it was, uh, it was, uh, what was it? It was store 24 for us at the time. Not, uh, oh, yeah. or well, actually I guess it was Tedeschi's for most of our career. So let's, you know, more inside baseball at the daily campus. The 7-Eleven closed at, at, at store center. Oh, I saw that. How, R.I.P. Yeah, I mean that got us through a lot of nights. Yeah, I mean whether it was Store Two Four, Tedeschi's, or Seven Eleven, I can't imagine working at the Daily Campus and not having one of those around. The amount of the amount of food that went into my system from Seven Eleven, Muya, and Husky Pizza with a side of Insomnia cookies while I was working at the Daily Campus, I, I'd be scared to go back and log what I was eating on All right. those nights. So I hate you for everything you just said, because <laughs> as you might recall, uh, another fun thing about the 2011, 2012 school year, my senior year, the year we're talking about with UConn here is that store center was under construction. So yep. the daily campus building was like that house from up where it's just <laughs> construction literally surrounding the entire building on all sides. And uh, yeah, guess what wasn't available for us? Muya and insomnia <laughs> and all those other places. Nope. And I think Wings uh, had moved by then too, so we didn't even have that. It was literally just Wings was down it, next to Ted's. Like if you want a little it was, further down it, the Wings road. W- Wings was where it is now, basically. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, needless to say, it was for us. It was Subway or Bust, and you know whatever, yeah. bus, whatever hey, chips I mean, and if, salsa you could grab I mean, from the store. Yeah, you got you. You came out like right before, or you you left UConn right before Store Center. I have since, you know, I like to think that I ha- I haven't been gone that long. And before anyone makes a joke on Twitter, yes, I graduated. Um, it's night and day, even from when I was there. I walked out of the, I walked out of now the bookstore one day, and I was, you know, I was going to a game with my mom, and I'm like, oh, I want to try to find where, uh, where the new gym is. And she goes, you mean that thing? And I looked, and I was just like, what? And it's across where uh, where Connecticut Commons was or is. Uh, I don't know and, if Connecticut Commons is a thing anymore. No, that that's where it is. Like they tore yeah. that down and they built the gym there. I think. Yeah, and then even Store Center. Like I was in Store Center a couple years before that. Like I had um, I had been going up to campus and someone was like, "Well, let's meet up at uh, at the pub over in Store Center." I'm like, "There's no pub over there." And they're like, "Yeah, there is." And I went over and I'm like, "What is this place?" Like it was like a whole little. 
like literally like a town center that wasn't like for me it was just like when I was there it was that one line of uh, one line of places you know Muya and Froyo and Husky Pizza and then the the candy place and that was pretty much it that's all that was there and now all of a sudden it's this like new amazing place I can't I can't believe it. Kids these days have it so good. And now they even yep. have the Big East and, you know, the prospect of a better future, which frankly, yeah. you know, say say what, you know, the 2016 through 2019 kids, I uh, feel bad for you in that in that respect. You know, you had to go through the dark ages, but at least you got some sweet, uh, some sweet like places at the store, uh, store center. Very true. We have gone way off the rails here, yep. so <laughs> why when don't we? we why don't we? Why don't we leave it at that? And uh, yeah. I don't know, Tim. Before we wrap up, you got any other UConn Jason thoughts that we can uh, leave the people with before next week? Um, shout out to the baseball team for beating Virginia in one of the three games this weekend. They're gonna hopefully have a good season. Nice to see the soccer teams out there, field hockey, and. Hopefully we're going to be able to all get back soon and check out some of those new facilities that from what I believe it was uh, one of our friends on Twitter actually saw the new facilities in person and said that the pictures don't even compare to actually being there. So shout out to everyone who's helped get that done and hopefully we all get to enjoy them real soon. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, it's going to be fun. That's uh, another thing that's certainly changed since uh, we graduated. So yeah. shout out to Spring Sports. You guys are out there doing your thing in the uh, – the snow and also shout out to the fall sports who are playing now, you know, soccer would not normally be playing now, obviously. And, uh, you know, it's weird times we live in. I mean, Hey, for my, my job, my day job, and I'm, I'm about to be covering high school football in February and March. Like that's a thing, I guess in Connecticut, I don't know if you guys are playing in Connecticut, but in Massachusetts, it's like, it's on like we're, we're, it's, it's about to happen. It's going to be the strangest thing, but that's uh yeah so anyway uh georgetown uh tuesday night um you know marquette this weekend and off to the races from there uh so tim thanks again for coming on and uh yeah i guess we'll we'll leave it there so you guys all know the drill you can follow me on twitter at max cerullo m-a-c-c-e-r-u-l-l-o dms are open and uh email me at yes podcast at gmail.com five star reviews on apple podcasts help us out and um yeah we'll be back next week with a hopefully uh Hey, you know what? Last time they played, uh, you know, Marquette was a, a pretty good game. So, you know, hopefully we'll have some good things to talk about between that game and Georgetown. And, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks, Tim. You guys have a good one.